0: reading from ephesians chapter 4 verses 29 through 32 let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you uh, for the truth in it, the truth that is in Jesus. Uh, We thank you that in Christ we have put off the old man and we are putting on the new. And we ask that as Pastor Chris opens up your word and explains the text that your spirit would give us understanding, will you open the eyes of our understanding to see the wondrous things in your word, and not just be hearers, but doers. Will you transform us by the power of your Spirit and by the washing of water with the word? Um, Convict us, uh, encourage us, point our eyes to you and away from ourselves, and enable us through Christ to live in the way that you desire us to. We thank you and we praise you. Amen.
1: All right, we're continuing through our text, verse by verse chapter by chapter, the book of Ephesians. And tonight, we land in verses 29 to 32 of chapter 4. We are to live differently as Christians than we lived before Christ. Earlier in chapter 4, we learned that there was an old us, an old self that acted a certain way, that thought a certain way, that did certain things. And now that old us is to be taken off, like dirty clothing, and we are to put on the new self created in righteousness and holiness, created after God Himself. And it is active. You must do something. Now, when we say do something, we are talking activity as a Christian. You are already accepted by this point in the letter The gospel was already clearly laid out in chapters one and two. Its implications have been being flushed out in chapters three and all through four. We are unified in Christ. We are alive. We are already received and accepted. It's okay between us and God. And because of that, grounded in our okayness, we now live a certain way. But as a Christian, you actually do have to participate in your growth and in your taking off and putting on. Otherwise, why would would Paul say that? Take off your old self. Put on the new self, created after the image of God. You have to be active in your growth, in your sanctification, which simply means becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, there is a lot here, and we're going to define a lot of words in Greek because I think that how can we know What we're supposed to do if we don't know specifically what is being told us to do. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a lot of defining, and we're going to be convicted because we're all in this text in various ways. We're all going to be found guilty here. However, we know as Christians, though we are guilty, we have the righteousness of Christ covering our guilt. And his not being guilty covers our being guilty, what good news. So we can actually read this text, be convicted, be condemned, be guilty, and know that in Jesus, he has fulfilled it for us, and we're still okay. So let's read the text with hope. Let's go through it with hope. Let's start in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. (laughs) No corrupting talk. Paul cares about your speech, your sentences, your verbal usage. He cares. God cares. We know that Jesus said, from the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. All I have to do is hang out with you, For more than a few hours, maybe a few days, maybe a few months, and I will know all about you on the inside. You will reveal yourself to me by the words you speak. You can't hide who you are because your words tell on you. This is why community is so important, because if we never hang out together, if we never get to know each other, if we're never speaking to one another, and more than just, hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. I'll see you next week. I mean, that's never going to be heart relationships. So in our relationships, we are to speak in such a way that builds each other up, as you can see there, such as is good for building up. The opposite of that is corrupting talk. Now, the word corrupting means this, to make putrid, (laughs) to cause decay, rot, unfit for use. How many of you guys like Trader Joe's? Come on. Okay, good, good. The rest of you, I don't know what's wrong with you. You you need to make a a purposeful visit. Well, they now have uh, hibiscus flowers dried and candied and sweetened. Anyone try them yet? Eugene, did I give you one? Yeah, that's how you tried it. So I, I, I just love these weird little things that Trader Joe's offers, and I buy them and I try them all. So I, I pull out one of these hibiscus flowers, and it looks like an octopus dead, like kind of with its legs up like this. And I give one to my daughter to try, and she's like, Dad, that's rotten. You know, she's seven, so she meant rotten. Rotten. It's rotten, Dad. I'm not eating that. And, and, and it kind of did look Rotten. And, and, it, uh, and a live hibiscus flower, anyone ever seen them? They're beautiful. They put them in ladies' bouquets for weddings, but dried up and shriveled, it looks like a dead octopus with its arms like this, but they're tasty nonetheless. There is such a thing as speech that rots other people, that corrodes other people, that causes them to be decaying. How many of you have ever received some of that kind of speech, corrupting speech? How many of you have ever given that kind of speech? And you've seen the results. You've seen the results. Let not what comes out of our mouths be the cause of others' corruption, others' decay, others' rotting. No, that's not good. Rather, the opposite We are to build up. We are to build up. Now, this is not the first time we've seen this, is it? Look, Ephesians 4, 12, just earlier, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers are given by Jesus to do something. And that something is to equip the saints, the Christians or the saints, for the work of ministry. What's the work of ministry? For building up the body of Christ. Building up other Christians, building up the church. This is the work of ministry, friends. We are to build one another up, not tear each other down, not corrupt one another with our speech. Look just a few verses after that, 4, 15 to 16. Rather... We are to speak the truth in love. Notice the speaking, corrupt talk, speaking, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it what? builds itself up in love. You see, the church is to work in such a way where our speech to one another builds one another up. And listen, how many of you live with a Christian spouse? Put your hand up. How's that building up going? Are we are we decaying one another with our speech or are we building each other? Up? I mean, this is the close this is the closest relationship you have that is church, that is body of Christ if your spouse is a Christian. You get that, right? So how's it going with the closest one to you? And we can move out from there. Like I said, we're all condemned, aren't we? We're just done. Like no one can stand under the weight of just this first command. No corrupting talk come out of your mouth. None. None. We're we're failing, aren't we? Rather, we are to be building each other up. So so let's look at the positive. This is what we can strive for. I love that Paul just doesn't say, don't do this. Rather, he says, do this. Now we have something to aim at in the positive. Now we know what we're supposed to do. We know what we're not supposed to do, but at least he tells us too what we're supposed to do. Only such, such what? Such talk as is good, I love that word, for building up for building up. Now, if your house has rotten foundations, if it's cracked and corroding, if it's breaking down, what needs to happen to the foundation of your house? You either need to replace it, remove it, you need to strengthen it, you need to work on it. What happens if the frame of your car is rusting out? Any mechanics in here or married to a mechanic? What happens if a frame is rusting out in your car? You need to replace it. You need to strengthen it. You need to reinforce it. You need to build it up. If any of you have decks built onto your house or like porches held up by support beams, what happens when those posts holding the weight starts to rot and all of a sudden the holes uh, start to show and the wood starts to get soft? Or if you have a fence around your house and it's made of wood, you look on top of the post and all of a sudden the inside starts to sink down in and it's rotting. It's corrupting. What's happening? You need to replace these things so you can build back up the strength of the structure so that it can do what it's supposed to do, which is be a support so that it can either keep things in as a fence, hold people up like a deck, or keep you protected from the elements like your house. So, your words, friends, are to strengthen and fortify, literally build up other people. And in so, as people are built up that are connected to a church, what happens to the church? The church is built up. See, without people, a church is nothing. Like, we could have the freshest graphics, the nicest website, the soundest doctrine, minus the people, we're not a church. We're not a church. And so it matters how you talk to one another, it matters how you treat one another, and especially when your speech is aimed at building up, it's going to be good, it's going to be strengthening, it's going to be fortifying, and it's going to have to be intentional. It's going to have to be intentional. Now, let's look at as fits the occasion. As fits the occasion. Now, I love that he qualifies this, Paul here. Here's what he's doing. He's saying it's going to take some wisdom, some discernment, some nuance on your part to know exactly what to say in certain occasions. Sometimes it's better not to speak. You realize that? Okay, sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut when you want to give paragraphs of corruption. <laughs> Amen. You, you know what I'm saying? Because after you say it, it can't be taken back. And now we have to repent. Now we have to deal with the consequences. We might have to book a counseling appointment with Chris, right? Friends, sometimes the best thing you can do is keep your mouth closed. I'm talking to myself. Chris, sometimes the best thing you can do is keep your mouth shut. Okay, I hear you. (laughs) This takes maturity, friends. As fits the occasion. Listen, we are to grow up into him who is the head. We just heard that. We need to grow up as Christians, and as we mature, as we become discerning, as we know who we're talking to, we know their personality, we know their hangups, we know their propensities, we actually get to know someone in the church. You should know your spouse more than anyone else. And if you do, you should be able to know what they need as far as building up. But see, sadly, and I know this is true because I've been married 15 years. And I've been with her eight years before I was married. You know exactly what to say to tear them down, don't you? To take revenge. To take shots. To poke at sore spots. You know. But just because you know what you could say to hurt... Do you know what to say to build up? That's a way better thing to know, friends. It is way more healthy, and it's way more building up the body of Christ. It's way more walking in the revealed will of God to know, how can I build you up? Where do you lack? Where are you not confident? Where can I encourage you? And and as you use words like God uses words, you will see transformation happen by the power of God himself. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. How are our minds renewed? True words, words from the scriptures, words that build up, that fortify, that strengthen. Friends, let's get to know each other so well, and let's ask God for wisdom until he enables us to speak the truth in love. The, the gospel in its various applications so that we might fortify each other because listen when each individual in a church is built up what happens to the church as a whole it is strengthened it is fortified it is strong and friends we need to be strong because life is hard life is hard and and suffering is inevitable and you know it and you need your church You need people in your life who love you and who are a part of your body, spiritually speaking, to come alongside you just like you're going to have to come alongside some other people. And in those moments especially, you need words that fortify, strengthen, and build up. How are you going to get those words? You need wisdom. And thankfully, James tells us in one five that if anyone lacks wisdom, he, she can what? Ask, and it'll be given. Didn't Jesus say, knock and the door will be open; seek and you'll find? He who asks receives. I mean, we need to cry out for wisdom like our lives depended on it. And then we can give the wisdom that we've been given. Not for our glory, but for the sake of the other and for God's glory. Let us use words that build up as fits the occasion. Now, I think we must be able to discern three things. When talking to someone, you have to be able to at least answer these three questions. Who am I talking to? In other words, do I even know them at a a surface level or or at a secondary surface level? Or do I know them? Do I know more than their name? Do I know this person? And how do you get to know somebody? Spending time. What else? Huh? Huh? talking to them, asking them questions, being interested in them, speaking less about yourself and drilling into their lives and experience. Tell me your story. Tell me where you've come from. Tell me. And then, yeah, you got to be willing to speak. But that's how we get to know people. We spend time with them and we get to know each other. We hear their stories. We tell them our stories. Number two, how should I speak to them? The way you say something matters. You know that, right? Like, you can say something in a harsh tone that's the right thing, and it's immediately stiff-armed, just because of your tone, because it's displaying the attitude of heart. And sometimes you can say really hard things with a really soft, gentle, loving, caring tone, and it's just received. The way you say stuff really matters. And I understand when the emotions are high, when the blood pressure is up, when the stress is on, when the heart is pumping, it's really hard to be calm, be gentle, be respectful. I know that. It's hard. And what do you need to do? God, help. Help me. Help me. Number three, what is the best thing to say? What's the best thing to say here? God, what what do I say? I hope that when you guys are in these kind of conversations where someone needs built up, that you are praying all the while in the conversation. God, what do you want me to say? God, I don't know what to say. Give me the answer. And how many of you have been in conversations when what to say is just dumped on you and you're even amazed as you're speaking? You're like, where'd that come from? It's awesome. And you know the Spirit of God is at work, and He has something to say to this individual in front of you, and He's using you as His mouthpiece in a sense. Not as authoritative Scripture like the prophets, but just as a gift, as a blessing for the person in front of you. That it may give grace to those who hear. That it may give grace to those who hear. Grace literally means benefit, goodness, encouragement, help means of blessing okay what's the purpose of the strengthening of the fortifying of the building up talk this is it you benefit people you bring goodness to people you bring encouragement to people you bring help to people and you you friends are the means of blessing for that person i mean this is good stuff you get to do this i get to do this how words Words. You didn't know words were that powerful, did you? The power of life and death is in the tongue. It can either build up or it can corrupt and rot people. And you've all been on both ends of the deal, haven't you? You've received the corrupting talk and you know what it feels like. You've received the building up encouraging talk and you know what that feels like. Which one feels more like life and which one feels more like death? Okay. Oh God, help us to be grace to those who hear us talk. Let us be grace to those who hear us talk. Let's move on to verse 30. Here's another don't. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, it's interesting that if you have a wrong understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, This verse makes no sense to you. You see, for a lot of people, they don't realize that the Holy Spirit is more than just a power source, more than just a force of God's energy. He's a person. You can't grieve the force of gravity. You don't hurt gravity's feelings because gravity is is just that. It's a force. But the Holy Spirit is a person that actually has feelings That sounds strange, doesn't it? The third person of the spirit of the of the of the Trinity has feelings that can be hurt by you and I. Wait, you mean to tell me I can hurt God's feelings? No, that's what Paul said. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You can hurt God's feelings. How? Well, we just learned. You can use corrupting talk. You can use speech in such a way that tears people down, that rots them from the inside out that corrupts them, and God the Spirit is grieved. Now, here's why that's a problem. One, you're an agent of salt and light in the earth, not an agent to spread further darkness and destruction and death. Christians are to be a city on a hill. We're we're a light of the world. You know, salt preserves. It doesn't further corrupt. You realize that? And our words have the power to corrupt or to build up. Oh, friends, please, let us be ones who build up. There's so many people in the world who get no encouragement, who get no strengthening, who get no goodness, who get no grace from anyone, and by you just being the encouragement, the light, the salt in their life, it's it's out of their realm of experience. You have to believe that, and when you speak words to people that are strengthening, fortifying, it It means the world to them. And it could be the only light in their moment of darkness. You need to think that. You need to think that about yourself and your words. They matter, and how you talk matters. The word grieve literally means to cause pain or sorrow. That's what this word means. You you can cause God pain, the third person of the Trinity. Uh, Peter, speaking to Ananias, Ananias and his wife had uh, come up with a, a plan to trick the apostles. They sold a piece of land, and they kept some of the money back, which was theirs to keep as much as they wanted. Uh, but they wanted to look better than they actually were. So they say, yeah, we, we sold this property, and here's all the money. And Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sees right through the lie, and He says this, Acts 5.3. Peter answered, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a person that could be lied to, that could be grieved, and that could be, in a sense, encouraged. Now, we don't encourage God, don't get me wrong, but if we're not grieving Him, what's the opposite? Delighting Him, pleasing Him, walking in line with Him, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature. Listen, and Paul's saying, by whom you were sealed, sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this sealing here is kind of outside of our experience because we don't do this anymore. But in ancient times, when um, kings or authorities wanted to seal up a letter, guess what they would do? They would drip wax on it. And they had an official seal, either in ring form or stamp form or roll form, and they would stamp it and it would have the official authority in the seal. And so if you wanted to seal a letter that wasn't supposed to be opened only by certain individuals, you would drip wax and the seal would be like the signature, the authority. And sometimes the the signet rings were the authority. It's like we sign legal documents. Well, these were binding legal signatures, if you will. And this is the picture, that the Holy Spirit is like that signet ring, the signature of God, the authority of God, and you are the one whom He's stamping. God's name is written on you. It's like you've been packaged up, and God has dripped wax, and He has sealed you with His own name, and you will make it to heaven. You've been sealed until the day of redemption. The day of redemption is the day we're all waiting for. When all the sadness goes away. When all the depression is done. When death is no more. When every tear is wiped away from our eyes. When we turn on the news and there's nothing but good news. I can't wait for this day. When the government, listen, is on the shoulders of Jesus. That day's coming when nature is at peace with human beings. I mean, you go into Trader Joe's or Whole Foods now, you think the produce department's banging? You just wait. You just wait until the day when the ground cooperates with us. Like, you could get that out of corrupt soil that's warring against us? That's amazing. You wait till the ground says, I'm with you. I'm here to help. And that's gonna be sweet. And see, For Christians, we have been sealed by God himself, and the idea is God has promised to get you to the end. Why would you want to grieve him? Why would you want to go against him? Why would you want to fight against what God is actively trying to do in your life? What God is doing in your life is he's transforming you more and more into the image of Jesus, his character and quality. And when you fight against that, especially with your speech, and here's the deal, your speech reveals your heart. See, the issue is really what's going on inside of you. Because if if the heart was cleansed and full of goodness and full of the Holy Spirit, what would be coming out of the mouth? That's the issue. This is why speech matters so much. Only speak those things that are helpful for building up. This same kind of sealing was used earlier in the letter. In him, this is Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, someone gave you the gospel, you read the gospel, you read the the gospel of John, perhaps, and you believed in him. That would be Jesus. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, God's signature, God's authority. Let's go to 31. Let all bitterness, and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you. Put that stuff away. Now, since we don't use a lot of these words, we we need to define these, okay? And this is helpful. This is really helpful. Bitterness literally means sharp, pointed poison. Put away the poison That resides in you. You know you can spit some poisonous words, right? Oh, you can. And it feels good sometimes. Doesn't it? Let my venom come out. The poison of asps, vipers is under their lips, Romans 3 says. And sometimes that's us. Those sacks of venom are still in there. Charles Hodge, a a commentator, Ephesian scholar, he says this. Bitterness means what is corroding, like grief or anything which acts on the mind as poison does on the body, or on the minds of others as venom does on their bodies. The venom of the serpent lies harmless in its fangs, but all evil feelings are poison to the subject of them, as well as being venom to their object." The command, therefore, to lay aside all bitterness is a command to lay aside everything which corrodes our own minds or wounds the feelings of others. Wow. Put all bitterness away. Put it away from you. Throw it out. Bury it. Flush it down the toilet. Get rid of it. And wrath. Wrath. Here's what wrath means hot, boiling anger. Literally, that's what it means. Hot, boiling anger. It's the heavy breathing type of anger. And you know what I mean? When the mouth's closed, it's the snorting of of a horse or of a bull. That's, That's the wrath we're talking about here. You've been that angry. What happens when you start talking when you're that angry? And start punching and kicking when you're that angry? You've been there. Does it help? Does it build up? Does it strengthen? Does it fortify? No, it does not. It tears down, it's destructive. This is not for Christians, friends. We need to put it away. This is what Paul's saying. Remember, he's talking to Christians. He's not saying, if you do these things, God will be pleased with you. He will save you. He will forgive you of your sins. No, you are forgiven. Your sins are put away. And you're righteous already. So let's start acting what we are. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. I just had to remind you. It means this. Fierce anger rage we say it like this oh he's a hothead she's a hothead oh yeah she has a hot temper wrath what about anger i thought they were the same anger is a more settled anger it's not that flaring up boiling kind it's just a it's always there it's just it doesn't go away you're an angry person so if you're grumpy if, if your natural disposition is grumpy guess what that is that's low level anger if you're just sour generally, that is low level anger. That's what it is. You're an angry person. If you're generally just in a bad mood, that is low level anger. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Does that characterize you? Doesn't me. But I want it to. I want it to. Vine's Expository Dictionary helps us out here. to to find out the difference here between wrath and anger. I'm not going to read the Greek word, but here it is. I'm just going to read our word. Wrath indicates a more agitated condition of the feelings. So wrath is your feelings are agitated. An outburst of wrath from inward indignation. This is where you blow up. That's the wrath. An explosion, and it comes out. While anger suggests a more settled or abiding condition of mind, frequently, frequently with a view to taking revenge. You just imagine getting even. But what does Romans say? What does Paul say in Romans? Vengeance is whose? Mine I will repay, says the Lord. Anger is less sudden in its rise than wrath, but more lasting in its nature. Okay, so anger lasts longer than wrath, but wrath flares up and then it goes down. I mean, it's like lighting a Roman candle. It's like this big show for just a few minutes and then it's done. That's wrath. Anger just lasts. It's It's like always there under the surface. Wrath expresses more inward feeling. Anger, the more active emotion. Wrath may issue in revenge, though it does not necessarily include it. It is characteristic that it quickly blazes up and quickly subsides. Is that you? You don't have to put your hand up. But are you characterized by anger? Are you easily annoyed? Are you easily set off? Do you have a very short fuse? It's time to put it away as a Christian. It's time to put it away. 31. Let's keep going. And clamor. Clamor. How many of you guys have ever used that word in your life? You're so clamorous. (laughs) We don't ever use that. It's a great word, though. Here's what it means. It means crying out aloud, loudly speaking, shouting or screaming at another person. Now, I, I see the shouting match happen often with kids. (laughs) and I have a couple kids very close to me. They're there when I wake up. They're there when I go to sleep. They're there when I come out of the restroom. They're there when I'm cooking dinner. They're there when I'm on the computer. They're just there, always. (laughs) They're in the back seat, clamoring, and this is what it looks like, okay? It looks like, stop touching me. I'm not touching you. Yes, you are, And and then once... Volume goes up, the next volume goes up. Then the volume, and, and before you know it, we're at 10 out of 10 volume. The volume can't go up anymore. This is clamor, right? It, you're, you're shopping at Target, and you hear clamor four hours over, and that's when everyone leaves the buggy, and they're like, what's going on? That, that's clamor, okay? It, it's when you're in a restaurant, and a couple is having a dispute, and they're getting louder and louder, and everyone's getting uncomfortable in the restaurant, Okay, this is clamor. And for Christians, friends, put it away. The, the screaming match that you're so often accustomed to needs to die. Notice this is all speech or underneath the speech with anger and wrath. It's all connected. Okay, slander, slander. This is a fascinating word. It means Injurious speech, speaking evil of someone's name, vilifying someone, or defaming someone. So, this is you talking to someone else about someone else for the purpose of defaming them, injuring them in their character, talking smack. The word literally is blasphema. What does that sound like? Blaspheme. Fascinatingly, the word diabolos what word in English? Devil. Do you know what devil and diabolos means? Slanderer. When you slander someone, you are literally being devilish or satanic, because that's what he does really well. He slanders us to God. He speaks in our ear, slander about God. If God loved you, he wouldn't be acting like this towards you. He wouldn't let you be in this situation. What kind of God does this? Slander, 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 satanic. And when you use that same kind of speech, you're being satanic. Not godly. Isn't it so easy to slip into all these? It's so easy. It doesn't take any work, does it? Rather, friends, it takes a massive amount of effort, work, prayer, accountability, and all the means of grace. Screaming loudly worship songs in your kitchen when no one else is there. Like, it takes a lot of effort to do what we're supposed to do, but we have the Holy Spirit who has sealed us. And don't expect you, listen, so, so this is just a side note, but I think it's helpful. I don't think you should expect the Holy Spirit to be just confirming your salvation and making you feel close to God and making you feel like everything's okay if you're not walking in the opposite of these. Because he's grieved. He's saddened. He's not with you. Not in the sense of with you presently, but he's not with your attitude and language. I'm not with that. I'm not cool with this, is what I mean. This is not okay. He doesn't leave you, but the sense of his presence does leave you, doesn't it? Take not your Holy Spirit from me, David said. Now, now the Holy Spirit doesn't leave Christians. We're sealed by him. But his, the sense of his presence does leave us, doesn't it? And you can be sure if you're living like this, you're not going to feel God. You're not. You're going to feel like he's distant because he is. And it's on you, not him. And you know how you can get him back? You repent. You turn from this. You, you go to the next part of the verse. Be put away from you. That's repentance. You put it away. God, I don't want to live like this anymore. I, I don't want to talk like this anymore. I don't want my speech to be characteristic of the devil. I want my speech to be characteristic of you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want, to, I want to use my words to build people up. I want to be an encourager. I don't want to be one who tears down. I don't. My mother used to say this all the time. And now I know the wisdom of it. If you don't have something nice to say, finish it. It's that simple. Just shut up. I love you. Okay? You can do much good by just shutting your mouth. Me too. And you want it, the words want to come out so bad, don't they? It's like I just want to say it. It's like spilling out the lips; they're closed, and it's coming out. And it sounds like this. <laughs> and you're boiling on the inside. And you want bitterness. You got wrath, anger. You're clamoring, and you want to slander all in the same sentence, don't you? All right, so it needs to be put away, listen, along with all malice. What does the word malice mean? Malice literally means badness. (laughs) I like that, badness. It means desire to injure. It means wickedness. It means maliciousness. Malice, malicious. Maliciousness. It means ill will. It means you have it out for other people. You would like to see their downfall. You would like to see them get what's coming to them. You would like it to go bad for them. That's malice. It's not for Christians. But it certainly is satanic. The devil is malicious. And we are not to be characterized by Satan, are we? We are to be characterized by the Lord Jesus Christ. In whose image we are being remade. Okay. Thankfully... Paul doesn't leave us here. (laughs) Look at verse 32. Here's what you should do instead. You put all that stuff away, repentance, and here's what you should do. You should be kind to one another. 1 Corinthians 13 is not just for weddings. And the greatest definition of love is in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Anytime you're being unkind to someone, what are you not being? Loving. What is the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. The moment you are unkind to anyone, even your children or your spouse, anyone in your church, anyone at your job, anyone on the street, you are not being loving. Listen, kindness is characteristic of love. Patience is characteristic of love. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. You've heard it a hundred times, but to do it, to live it out, to practice it. Man, am I loving at all, is the question. You see, this is what we are to be, to be kind to one another. What does the word kind mean? We think we know what it means, but here's what the Greek word means. It means useful, fit for use, beneficial, pleasant. Are you pleasant to other people? Do they encounter a pleasantness about you, a beneficialness about you? When they're around you, do they benefit from being around you? That's the question. Are you kind? What's the next word? Tender-hearted. When you tenderize meat, what do you do to it? You pound it with a hammer, (laughs) a little spiky hammer. It's a great job. You jam the meat, and you tenderize it. You put some spice in there, and you tenderize it some more. Tender-hearted, what does that mean? Means you have a soft heart. Now I come from the hip-hop world, and the heroes in hip-hop were characterized by being hard. In fact, it's still used sometimes, like, man, that's hard, or oh, he's hard, she's hard. Okay. The opposite of tender hearted. Okay? And we are to be characterized by having a tender heart. What does it mean? What does it mean? It means you are compassionate, it means you are sympathetic. It means you are understanding of others' feelings. That's what it means. It's literally what that means. And that's for you as a Christian. You are to be compassionate to other people. You are to be understanding of others' feelings. And you're actually supposed to care about other people's feelings. You're not hard-hearted. People actually mean something to you because you have a tender heart and you're kind. You're not cold and indifferent and I could care less It's not christian friends it's not the heart of christ jesus looked out on the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd he felt for them he was tender-hearted he said my my lambs i know them i call them by name they know my voice he scoops them up tender-hearted that's that's our that's our shepherd we are being remade in his image to forgive. look, kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another. Now we're epically going to fail, aren't we? So what do we do? We walk in forgiveness. This is why I said uh, to the parents earlier or prayed, "We need to live a life of gospel before our children, because we are going to screw up so bad that we need forgiveness." Yes, the kids need forgiveness, too. Because there are many devils. (laughs) All the parents, just say amen. You know it. And guess what? You were a children. You were a child too. What does that mean about you? Yeah. So here's the deal. You need to be forgiving often. Because listen, people are going to offend you often. And you know what it means to need to forgive someone? It literally means you have a need to release them of the debt they owe you. They owe you a debt. And you're either going to make them pay. And you're going to take revenge by the words you use. Or the attitude you use. Or the, the, the spoiling their name with other people to make them pay. You're, you're going to make them pay in various ways. You're going to give them the cold shoulder. It's going to be indifferent to you. You mean nothing to me. You're dead to me. See, that, that's making people pay. That's not forgiving. It's not forgiving. Forgiving says, I will pay the debt you owe me. That's what it is. Forgiveness. And we need to do this if we're going to walk with each other because we're going to offend each other. You're going to owe me. I'm going to owe you. I'm going to fail. You're going to fail. No doubt. We're still sinners this side of eternity forgiving one another. Now this is the beautiful part. This is the how you do this. Okay, you told me what to do. You've told me what not to do. How do I do this? Here's how. As God in Christ forgave you. You see, all we're doing is what's been done to us. You know what it's need. You know what it's like experientially to need to be strengthened and built up. You know what it's like to need compassion and kindness. You know what it's like to need someone with a tender heart to come to you in your time of need. You know what it's like to need forgiveness. Don't you? And see, in God, in Christ, we are forgiven. We have been shown massive kindness. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this, "Do, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. See, we often think about God with the lightning hammer ready to smash you into repentance. Meanwhile, Romans 2 says, it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. And I wonder if some of the people whom you just cannot get to repent, as much as you scream at them, as much as you remind them, I wonder if a little bit of kindness might be effective. I wonder. You see, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And the last verse I want to look, and then after this, we're going to have a short time to reflect on our failures. I'm going to do Psalm 51, and, and then we're going to take communion together. Remember that we're forgiven. Okay? And so this. This psalm here, 103, is going to lead us into a time of just reflection, talking to God, asking Him for help. But listen, you know what it's like to need kindness. You know what it's like to need a tender heart, and you know what it's like to need forgiveness. It has been given to you. As you reflect on the amount of forgiveness, kindness, and how tender-hearted God's been to you, this is how you can live out what we've just heard. That's how. If you don't reflect on how much of a sinner you are in need of a Savior, you're not going to be able to do what we've just learned. All right, let's do Psalm 103 very quickly. We're just going to read it. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. It's beautiful. And how did God remove our sins as far as the east is from the west? Well, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He he literally soaked up your debt on the cross. You owed more than you could pay to God. And Jesus said, I will pay it. That's what the cross was about. Your sin debt was unpayable by you. And Jesus said, I'll pay it. I'll pay it for anyone and everyone who trusts in me. I'll pay it for anyone and everyone who will turn away from themselves, turn away from their sins, turn to me, receive my grace, receive my mercy. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest, rest for your souls. That offer is still open. The rest of soul is for you. It's for me. And we're going to be led now in a time of of thinking about turning to God and asking for help, and let's confess to Him where we failed, and then let's receive communion as a reminder of what Jesus has done to pay for our sin.